0: Welcome to this 820 AM The Word broadcast special, Heart of the City. Pastors, ministry leaders, and churches have received a call to serve their communities with the love and compassion of Christ. The call is from God's heart to the heart of the city.
1: you're listening to Heart of the City, I'm Chuck Olmstead, the Director of Local Ministry Development for 820 AM The Word. We've got a special guest with me today. In fact, we're recording in his office. It's Mike Brazil. And uh, welcome to Heart of the City. Great to be here with you today, Chuck. Yeah, well, you're, you're at Camano Chapel here on Camano Island, which um, it's been a while since I've been on Camano. But uh, you've been here at the church for how long now? Just about five months. So I'm, I'm the newcomer. Yeah. And what's your uh, official title here? At the official church? Title, title is
2: The Connection Pastor. Okay. So connecting people with each other, connecting them with the church, connecting them with discipleship ministries, just connecting them any way I can
1: connect them. Yeah. <laughs> well, excellent. Well, you were showing me something really interesting as we were walking in today, and and uh, because this church has been around since 1951, I believe. Correct. And uh, you were showing me a picture of the original dedication uh, with Billy Graham, and so that was a pretty interesting thing to see that Dr. Graham was up here. And he was here for a crusade in Seattle at the time?
2: That's correct. So 1951, he would have been down in Seattle holding a crusade. The reporter who was covering that crusade was also covering this church being built and established by the community for the community. Kind of a lot of uh, volunteerism, putting it together. And so he asked Billy Graham to come up and dedicate the building, which he did. About 3,000 people arrived, and it was just an absolute huge success. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, there's still sections of that building that you were showing me that's pretty, pretty interesting. And so um, an interesting history to this church. And, and uh, you and I uh, were just talking because there's kind of an interesting connection with Billy Graham because in your previous uh, work, you were down in Riverside, California with Greg Laurie. And, of course, Greg had a, an, an amazing affinity with Dr. Graham, didn't he?
2: That's right. That's right. Almost a, a mentor-type role. Mm-hmm. And uh, all these years, Greg has admired Billy's evangelistic style. Uh, he's picked up many of his own methods from Dr. Graham and then obviously changed them to fit his own personality and style and maybe a contemporary usage. But still, uh, Billy was the standard and still is to this day. I don't know that that'll ever go away. So yes, I have a connection between the two. So it was mm-hmm. nice coming here and just seeing that this church is is a an evangelistic church, but it's connected to Dr. Graham as well, Yeah, uh, what a great connection and tie-in.
1: You bet. Well, on this program, Heart of the City, we always like to go back and, and just have uh, a pastors and ministry leaders share their stories, because I think it's important for people to recognize that pastors are people too, <laughs> and that they have their own unique stories of how they came to faith, and so... Um, uh, we've had a history of doing that here on this program, and I'd love for you to share just your story. You're, um, of course, living in the Northwest now. Were you a uh, born California? Are you a California boy? where you grow- grew up down there?
2: Born and raised Orange County, Southern California, for basically sixty years uh-huh. until the last five months.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, were you in the
2: Riverside area then? So we were in Orange County, which is just adjacent to that, and grew up there to afford a house you had to move inland away from the beach so Mm -hmm. that's what my wife and i did when we got married but uh, we had gotten saved in in uh, orange county prior to that and when we moved out to riverside it was a natural fit to go to greg Laurie's church we already knew who he was
1: yeah well so tell me about growing up in orange county before you got married what's a what was your family like were they did they know the lord what was what was your kind of your background
2: yeah, we really grew up in a non-believing house. We weren't anti-God. We weren't We weren't anything. We were just kind of blank. And uh, the only Christian in the family at the time was my grandmother. So I would go spend the night over at her house as a little boy, and she'd share about Jesus with me and read Bible stories. And I just ate it up. I can remember five years old, six years old, just knowing it's true, it's right. But I had no no outlet for that we didn't go to church we didn't uh, do anything with it so it wasn't until i was 19 years old that i was really seeking to find out what the truth was i knew it was the lord i kn- i knew god existed i knew it was jesus somehow i didn't know how that all worked but yeah growing up we didn't know uh anything about god and so what my grandmother had shared with me was a seed planted and it stayed with me all those years from five years old till 19 Mm -hmm. when I finally responded to it. And, uh, it wasn't until, uh, that whole era, uh, late, uh, mid mid seventies was really the Jesus movement still Mm -hmm. taking place. It was kind of winding down about mid Mm seventies. And I graduated in 76 and so i had these christians on campus that they're carrying their bibles and and you had all the the drugs and pot stuff going on on campus as well but there were the the bible believing kids and uh, i just thought you know what i really respect them and admire them but i can't be seen with them <laughs> of course i've got to stay cool <laughs> and so uh i just no one no one talked to me no one invited me to come i think even to this day i think back and i think you know had someone just taken the time to come up to me and talk to me, invite me to their Bible study or to church or what have you, I probably, very possibly would have gone Hmm. and may have come to faith a little bit earlier than what I did because it was uh, not until about 1977 that a friend did invite me to go to church. And uh, my girlfriend and I, we've been married now 40 years, Mm -hmm. uh, but my girlfriend and I, Uh, both had had a conversation. Uh, She also had a similar story. Her family was not a Christian family necessarily, but she knew that the Lord was right. They had sent her to a Christian school for a couple of years, and so she knew it was the truth. So we had that conversation one day. We went and investigated a few different churches. We went on different Sundays and went around Orange County trying out churches, and we, we felt good about ourselves after we went to church but it just didn't feel like that was the church we wanted to go back to. It just wasn't our style. I, mm. Something wasn't wasn't clicking with us. Right. So this friend invited us to Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa with Chuck Smith. Chuck Smith, sure. 1977. Uh, they had avocado green carpet and burnt orange pews, and uh, it was <laughs> it was still full on hippie era. Right. And uh, we went in on a Sunday morning, and our friend said, "Oh, you know, we're teenagers," and they said, "Well, we sit down on the carpet." right at, the, at Chuck's feet here, basically at the bottom of the stage. And, uh, you know, we don't sit in the pews. And I thought, well, this is not the normal church I've been to before. And so all the adults are in the chairs and all the teenagers are sitting up front. And I had Chuck come out and I, I'm thinking to myself, this guy is like my spiritual grandfather that I never had. And he's just, he's telling me about God for the first time that just my eyes are being opened and it makes sense. Hmm. So that uh, that week, my wife and I, Kathy and I, went to a, Sunday, a Saturday night concert that they had the following Saturday, and it was basically music, a message, and an opportunity to receive Christ. And we both, without conferring with each other, we both just jetted to the front wow. and made that profession of faith. So that was May 14th, 1977, and we've not looked back. We've mm. both been full tilt and not just following Christ, but eventually getting into ministry for both of us for several decades now.
1: So you basically, both of you, you and your wife, basically basically received the Lord on the same day. Same opportunity, so, that's right. Wow. And you weren't married yet. Oh, we weren't.
2: Yeah. Uh, so Chuck Smith married us about a year later. Wow. Baptized us and then married us. And so we attended church there for about a year and a half, uh, ended up uh, getting married and then moving out to Riverside. Uh, Greg Laurie was the church out there that we were familiar with, and we, uh-huh. we started there forty years ago
1: in uh, 1978. So you and Greg are are just a couple years apart, right? He's is he a couple years older than you? I think he turned sixty
2: six about two days ago. Oh, okay. So he's, and I'm sixty. So. Okay, six years. Yeah.
1: So those were dynamic times back then in the in the late sixties, early seventies, with the Jesus movement and all that was happening mm-hmm. in Southern California. Um, you know, I grew up in the Midwest, but certainly was aware of what was happening, and And uh, our mentors were Pastor Jack Hayford and, you know, the Foursquare Movement, and just seeing all that was happening with Chuck Smith and with um, the charismatic movement at the time, and, and just the dynamic of, of the Jesus Movement, and, and the music, the change in music, and all of that. It was just a uh, an amazing time, wasn't it? That's right. That... That era uh,
2: doesn't really seem to uh, get full credit, I think, for what it was. It was a move of God that actually changed church across this country Mm -hmm. because I've traveled around doing crusade work in uh, many states for many decades now, almost three decades, and I've met with pastors all over this country. Many of them came to faith during that time frame as teenagers they're now senior pastors of, of very successful large churches mm-hmm. and I just wonder had that movement not happened that whole Jesus movement back in the late sixties early seventies, you know would we have a church that looks the same as it does today you know the modern church movement that's right and, and all these mega churches that we see popping up,
1: yeah, well, tell me how the Lord called you into ministry. you mentioned that uh, you went on out to riverside to uh to, uh, well, we call it Greg Laurie's Church, but that's Harvest. It's Harvest <laughs> Christian Fellowship. Harvest right.
2: Christian Fellowship. Most people don't know the name, but they know Greg. <laughs> so I usually is. just throw out Greg's it, name and it, they know what I'm talking exactly,
1: about. Exactly, exactly. So uh, you started attending out there. And and uh, so how did the Lord begin to work in your heart towards ministry?
2: You know, we, we began attending and we both, Kathy and I both, uh, realized that we're just hungry for Anything spiritual about God, anything biblical, we just were going multiple nights uh, throughout the week and just trying to immerse ourselves in uh, biblical training, you know, Bible studies and what have you, fellowship times. And so uh, it wasn't but a couple of years there that we realized we, we're supposed to be serving. That's the next outlet for growing in your faith and maturing and dis- and being a disciple is to eventually give back. So, uh, we opened up our home for a Bible study uh, in the home. I began teaching it. Uh, I started ushering at church. I went on a Bible smuggling trip over to China mm-hmm. back in 1986. And so, we just started getting involved in ministry in many different levels. And so, it was about 1991 or so. So, I had been a Christian for a, quite a while 15 years or so. And uh, I just felt like I, I would like to be in ministry full time. That's To me, that's like the highest calling on earth is that if God could use me in ministry full-time, not just in a volunteer capacity, because Mm -hmm. I was volunteering pretty significantly, but most of my time was going to work during the day to make a living. So uh, I began praying about it in 1991. Well, early 92, uh, I received a call from uh, one one of the executive pastors from Harvest who oversaw the Harvest Crusades, which were just starting early 90, 91. And so by late 91, 92, when I'm praying, they were looking to hire an employee. It had just been volunteers up to that point. So I received this call and met with uh, John Collins, and we talked over what it would look like for me to be the first employee. So uh, my wife and I had been praying about it in advance, not knowing what the opportunity was going to be, but just about ministry and full time and just giving of ourselves to another degree. Mm-hmm. So when the call came, I had the answer already. I didn't know what the question was. <laughs> and so when John sprung that question at the end of our conversation, I'm, he said, uh, I'm sure you'll probably need to go home and spend a few days to pray about it, and talk with your wife. And I said, actually, I can give you the answer right now. We've known the answer for about six months. We didn't know what the question was. Uh-huh. So it was an easy fit and connection And then for the next 27 years, that's what I did, is I was a crusade director uh, doing the advance work for Pastor Greg to go in and do the evangelistic uh, piece on maybe a three-night event Mm -hmm. uh, in any city that we were going to.
1: Well, that's how you and I met, because uh, Greg was here, what is that, 2010? And so you and I uh, had a chance to meet, and you were the the crusade director, and I was on one of the committees to, to work with that. And got a chance to get to know you. So, how how has that? Uh, how have the has the have the Crusades changed over the years since you first started? What's what's been the probably the obviously the whole focus is is leading people to Jesus, right? <laughs> but I'm sure maybe the approach is a little bit different now in some ways. Has, it has is. technology changed a lot of that?
2: It, it absolutely has, as far as promotion or the event itself obviously it's it's so it's a plus and there's also a downside to it because there's a great distraction with technology uh I was doing a crusade down in New Zealand probably about 15 years ago and I had done a little history search on you know evangelism in their country and in Australia I had done a crusade in Australia the year before and so I was uh talking with some of the local guys that were on one of our committees And they also participated with Billy Graham when he was there in 1969. And uh, they were telling me about his crusade the first time he came, which was 1959, 10 years earlier. And that was a huge success. And Billy went through all of New Zealand and hit all the major cities on a tour. And then he went over and hit all of Australia and hit all of the major cities over there. So it was just a huge campaign for a year. And the attendance was uh, just... uh, you know, over the top. It was just standing room only at every event in 1959 at all these cities. So ten years later, they came back and did the same, pretty much the same uh, tour, and the attendance was way off. It was maybe half uh, the attendance they had seen ten years earlier, and they tried to figure out what you know what has changed. Television hmm. had completely transformed those two countries and what people do with their their free time mm-hmm. uh, prior to television being the the dominant factor in your home on an evening uh, it was going to live events whether that be sporting events or you know like i think in our country the barnum and bailey circus mm-hmm. uh, they don't travel around like they used to and it's not at the edge of town like it used to be and you don't go to plays like you used to and so things have had changed over the last 60 70 years but even in the last 25 30 years, technology has so radically changed how people flow in society, mm-hmm. and so people are very preoccupied today. So it is it is more challenging to get people to come out to a large event now than it would have been 25 years ago when I started, mm-hmm. definitely.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know if I've share, ever shared this with you before, but I, I just recall, <clears throat> and I'm using this as 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 a kind of a springboard to talk about how really, though, the, the presentation of the gospel is still the same. And the the thing I appreciate about Dr. Graham and also with Greg Laurie is the, the simplicity of the message that they share. And um, I remember being at the uh, Key Arena uh, in 2010 and and uh i was backstage and down below near the platform and i remember i i forget i had to go run do some sort of an errand during the during the the crusade and i was right near the freight elevator and and the the door opens up and out comes greg getting ready to go up on the platform and he's got a few people around him you know that they need to have for security purposes but i you know we didn't catch eyes but i saw his face and the only image that I had when I saw him preparing to get up on the platform was a boxer going for 15 rounds. There was just this uh, it, serious intensity, if I, if I would imagine it, to, to say that there was like someone going in to do battle. And I just had the impression that... That when you're delivering a message, you feel the gravity of of what you're doing. There's a joy to it, I'm sure, and I'm sure you've you've been with Greg when he's preparing. But there's a seriousness about it. It's a privilege, but yet a great responsibility, isn't it?
2: There, there really is, and that term "battle" is actually very accurate. And and the look you saw on his face was exactly that. And uh, it's a spiritual battle, and so that night. Uh, just thinking back, I, I believe that if it was a Sunday night, uh, we did a Friday, Saturday, Sunday that year. If it was the Sunday night, it was a turn away crowd. I think we were at 15,000 or so capacity and had to close the doors down mm-hmm.
0: and
2: sent people away, unfortunately. But uh, that may have been, you know, 15,000 spiritual battles going on individually in the seats, or at least those who were not Christians that were struggling with listening to Satan on one hand and listening to the Holy Spirit tugging on the other hand. And this message is being, you know, given and, uh, people are making eternal decisions that night. And so it is going into battle. And I've heard, uh, Greg, and uh, he had even relayed that in conversations with Dr. Billy Graham, that, uh, when they go into a crusade setting like that, uh, when they finish, they're absolutely spent spiritually and emotionally just absolutely exhausted by the end of the evening, and typically don 't want to go to any reception or mm-hmm. any gathering of anybody and they, they really aren 't thinking socially at that point they 're looking to go back to the hotel room and crash basically
1: <laughs> and some people don 't understand you know the emotional um, uh, battle that it is in delivering a message like that for me obviously i 've not preached crusades, but there have been times when I walk away. And I know that the Lord has used me in delivering a message. Where my next day I'm depressed. That's just my natural Mm -hmm. reaction. There's just this kind of depression that this low. It's not. I say depression. It's just this emotional low that takes place in my heart. And most and people don't understand. uh, They would think coming out of a message like that, Greg would be feeling high and he'd want to see people or you know but oftentimes the, the pastor or the ministry leader they go through just this real low sometimes it's exhausting the fuel tank
2: is empty at that point yeah. that's what it is it's not there's nothing left you've spent it all
1: uh-huh yeah so there's a real appreciation for that as far as what what goes through so let's uh let's migrate to what you're doing now you're here at Camino Chapel and um tell me about uh, church life here after 5 months Yes,
2: uh, this is a great church. I've loved being here. It's Everything has changed for us, obviously being from Southern California, just our routine, our daily lifestyle, the, the freeway. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything down there is very different from Camino Island. 16,000 people on this island. There's a bridge coming over, so it, you don't need the ferry to get here. But it's, it's a slower pace, and it's basically been a retirement community. So uh, slowing down a bit, but it's a lot more people-oriented, and mm-hmm. I love being involved with that, uh, I think, to a greater degree than I ever was able to in my busyness prior. So now it's about relationships. It's about connecting with people. It's about enjoying the people of Camino Chapel, Camino Island, and uh, looking for new ways, maybe putting my eyes of doing evangelistic work around the country on how we can bring new people, new families into our church here now. Mm-hmm. So we're we're looking forward to trying some new things uh, some invites, uh, things I'm very used to, inviting people to come out to hear a presentation of the gospel. Now it's inviting them to come to this church mm-hmm. and be a part of this family as well. I, uh, this last uh, week and a half, I had an opportunity to preach on Sunday morning for the first time in 15 years since I preached a Sunday morning down in Australia at a Presbyterian church. Ah. So it was awesome to get up in front of the congregation and just successfully put God's word out there and, yeah. and know that he's feeding the sheep and he's using me as the person to
1: put the straw out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if someone wants to, um, to connect with, uh, uh, Camino Chapel, what do they do? How, how can they reach out to you? Yes. Yeah, so anybody can go to org and find out all
2: the information. We're about an hour North of Seattle proper. So some of the Uh, People that attend here are coming from some of the communities just north of Seattle, Everett, uh, Marysville, Mm -hmm. Lake Stevens, and what have you. So uh, anybody's welcome to come. It's a family church. It's a multi-generational church. We have three services on Sunday mornings, and we love people, love doing ministry, love making disciples, and would love to have anybody come out and join us. Yeah.
1: Well, I've, we've been speaking with Mike Brazil. He's a connections pastor here at Camino Island Chapel. Mike, we have about one minute remaining. Um, just share a word of encouragement with our listeners. Uh, what maybe the Lord's been speaking to you on your on a personal level, and just uh, just wrap us up here today.
2: You know, I, I, big picture here. Uh, I've traveled around the country and out of the country doing crusade work, and my primary role was mobilizing churches. And so I I was working with pastors for all those years, literally thousands of pastors around the country mostly, but around the world a bit. And I'm just encouraged and excited that the church at large is strong, it's healthy, it's vibrant, it's making a difference in this world. The world is going the way the world's going but then didn't the bible tell us that we knew that from the beginning didn't we mm-hmm. and so we shouldn't be surprised that it's uh, it's going the direction it is but it's making us the church stronger we need each other more than ever and i think we're going to going forward but we're, we're healthy and strong and we need to stay about our father's
1: business keep
2: preaching the gospel keep making disciples and wait for his
1: return Mike, thanks you for joining me today on Heart of the City. God bless. Thank you. God bless you.
0: You've been listening to this 820 AM, The Word, special Heart of the City. For more information on how your pastor or your ministry can be featured on 820 AM, The Word, call Chuck Olmsted, 206-269-6216, or go to thewordseattle.com.